We've been exploring this theme in this Advent season of, of light into darkness, and, and we began by reflecting last week on, on John 1, verses 1 to 5, where, where Jesus is, is described by John as the light coming into the darkness of this world. And the specific word that John uses to describe Jesus starts with an L, another L word. Does anyone remember what it was? Jesus is the, the logos, right? Jesus is the word. In other words, he uses this Greek philosophy to describe that all of our purpose and meaning and significance and value is wrapped up in knowing who Jesus was. And so we talked about last week, what does it mean to find the light of Jesus? What does it mean for Jesus to be the source of the light of the world? And we began to touch on this verse a little bit, John 8, 12, which says, I am the light of the world. And if you remember, the statement, I am, means what? That Jesus is, that Jesus is God. In other words, He's not saying He's just a source of light. In other words, He's not saying He is another light. He is the divine God who brings light to this world. And so, uh, what I want to focus on this week is that second part of the statement, I am the light of the world. We talked about Jesus as the light of the world last week. But then this is pretty beautiful what Jesus says, what He tells us. He says, whoever follows me will not walk in what? In darkness, but will have the light of life. In other words, Jesus is saying when we recognize Him for who He is as God and we recognize that He is a God who has come to this world to seek and save the lost, to bring redemption and salvation, when we follow Him, we never walk again in darkness. We actually have the light of life. And so I want to explore that a little bit with us this morning. Now, I grew up on the ocean. And so when I think of light, naturally my mind goes to my childhood experiences of lighthouses. And I remember being in uh, such thick fog out on the ocean, out on a boat, where I could literally not see my hand in front of me. Anyone been in fog that thick before? It's a very intimidating feeling. You feel like you're in an alternate reality. You feel like you're in an alternate world because you have no conscientious of where you are, where you're going. Everything just feels like a blur. And especially when you're caught in a storm, when you're caught in chaos, when you're caught in uncertainty, one of the most uh, life-giving Uh, one of the most comforting feelings you could have is to see a light beam or even a foghorn that gives you a direction and a path of where to go. Now, as we walk through this life, who feels like they're walking through a storm at times and they have no idea where they're going? Many of us associate with that. Now, I think it's pretty fascinating for us as a culture and society because in the day and age that we're at right now, And everything we see going on in our world, does it not seem like the entire culture of Canada and even the states is just absolutely lost and confused where humanity is going? It's absolutely insane. 
And I've talked to a number of you, especially those of you who have come to faith and, and exploring faith, you begin to realize where our culture is going and some of the belief systems that are held, they seem so disastrous and they create disaster and this, this questioning, well, what is the alternative? And you're exploring who Jesus is and finding the answer in who Jesus is. And I think that's a beautiful thing. And this is where uh, I've been listening to some very interesting lectures and debates recently by two very prominent men, thinkers in our culture and society. The two men are Jordan Peterson. Has anyone heard of Jordan Peterson before? And the other one is a guy named Sam Harris, who's an atheist philosopher. And I've been listening to these debate that they're having between each other because really the debates they're having has to do with humanity being lost in a cloud of uncertainty and in darkness and having no way to escape it. And so what the, the first lecture I listened to where they deba debated each other was the question, well, how do we find a path for, of morality for humanity? In other words, how do we find a direction that people should follow and model their lives after? And it's interesting because Sam Harris is an atheist philosopher. He recognizes that from an atheist perspective, perspective, if there's no God, then there really is no sense of morality. And he's come to realize that the, the, the logic to that extent turns into moral relativism. Has anyone heard of moral relativism before? It's basically this philosophical thought that there is no right and wrong. Everyone can do whatever they want. There is no moral foundation or objective morality for humanity to have. Now, could you imagine where that leads? It leads into a horrific world, does it not? If there is no foundation for morality and everyone can do whatever they want and there is no right or wrong... It's a horrible existence. And so even he, as an atheist philosopher, says, we as humans cannot go this way. And so we need to find a middle ground. Now you have Jordan Peterson on the other hand, and I find him very fascinating because he's not a Christian man, but he argues for the Christian worldview. <laughs> It's a very strange thing. I think it's, it's something he's still wrestling with, but he's not a Christian man, but he still argues for the, the Christian worldview. And so he's trying to debate Sam Harris into some center of understanding for some foundation for morality for humans to exist. And, and what I began to realize as I listened to these two and the, the, the depth of conversation that they were going to is both these guys are absolutely lost and have no idea where the source of morality is found. In other words, both of them try to create some sort of function and pathway for humans to exist under. I mean, Jordan Peterson even wrote a book on it, 12 Patterns, or I forget what the book is called. Um, and Sam Harris wrote a book on it as well. But both these guys are so lost on what humans are actually supposed to function as and how humans are supposed to live in this world. And it reminded me once again that even some of the most brilliant thinkers in our culture and society are wandering through this world in a midst of fog. And we, we have to come to the realization that it's only when we follow Jesus that all these existential questions, all these questions of how humans are supposed to live actually began to fall in place. There is only one light, 
to the darkness of this world. There is only one light to our meaning and existence as Jesus describes. And so what I want to do for the purpose of this morning is begin to walk through some of these implications. What, what does it mean to follow Jesus as the light? As, as we try to make sense of our, 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 our morality, as we try to make sense of what is true, as we try to make sense of why are we relational beings, as we try to make sense of the lifestyle that we should live, how does Jesus answer some of these questions? And so I broke it down into the three categories, what it means to follow Jesus as light. The first one is that we find and experience truth in belief. The second one is that we experience relationship and belonging. And the third one is that we find freedom in behavior. And so how does the Christmas story and Jesus himself begin to answer some of these questions and these longings we have as humans? Well, the first one, to follow Jesus, to actually realize that Jesus is the I am, that he is God, is to recognize very something unique about him. And as we look through the story, after Jesus is born, who shows up? Who's the next major people in the story after Jesus is born? The, well, yeah, I guess you're right. But I was thinking the Magi, right? After Jesus is born, probably a few months later, up to two years, the Magi show up. And we sort of sentimentalize this story about three, three wise men who bring three gifts. There was obviously probably a lot more than three. Um, but there was these magi, these wise men from the east who recognized something in Jesus. And they recognized something quite profound about who he was. And, and they said this, they said, where is he who has been born, what? King of the Jews. In other words, they have a deep insight into Jesus is at his infancy. And it says, for we saw his star. Isn't that interesting? Another imagery of light in the Christmas story when it rose and we have come to do what? Now this is wild. We have come to worship him. In other worship is to give something worth, to give something value. And you have these wise men come from the east, these magi who basically come to an infant, a toddler, and say, we recognize that this is a king and we have to orient our entire lives around this child. Isn't that wild? From the very beginning of Jesus' life, people... Wise men recognized that Jesus changes everything. And so I was thinking, uh, uh, especially as I was wrestling with the conversation of Sam Harris and Jordan Peterson, I was like, you know what? The Magi from the East wrestled with this, and they found Jesus to be king and divine and worshipped him. And yet so many of the wise people in our culture and the intellects still are missing out deeply on what Jesus has to offer. And so what the Magi recognize that is if Jesus is God, if he is the I am as he says, then all of life and all of truth is entirely wrapped up in this person. And so Jesus reminds us that he is the I am, he is the light of the world. And so 
our orientation of the entire existence we have should be oriented around this person, Jesus. And so when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, well, we begin to ask the question, if, if the world is so disconnected and disaligned from who Jesus is, what does the world mean? Because we know that the whole world has not been lightened. But the implication is that if the world does not walk in Jesus, if they do not worship Jesus as the Magi have, what's the implication? What do they walk in? They walk in darkness, right? And we talked about last week of all these different imageries for darkness, and, and one of them, the, uh, walking in darkness was ignorance. You walk in ignorance. You don't know truth. You don't know reality. You don't know what's fully going on. And, and so Jesus comes, and one of the implications of following him as the light is to step out of ignorance and step into reality. It means that once we have our eyes open from the darkness into the light, we finally see the truth and reality of everything that Jesus is and everything this world is. Now, we can have this illustrated in many ways, but as soon as you step into a room like this, let's say we were all in this room together and we turned out off all the lights, so we were pitch black, you couldn't see anything. And imagine we were all sitting here being extremely quiet. And we had someone walk into this room, and it was pitch black, and they would walk through, maybe they walked through where the spaces are, and they left the building, and they said no one was there. We didn't see anyone, we didn't hear anyone. Would that be reality? No. But if that person came in this room and they flicked on the lights, what would they see? They would see us all here, right? Their eyes would be open to the reality of this room. And in the same way, what Jesus does is he comes in to this world and he flicks on a light, so to say, where he opens us to the reality of what this world is. He opens us to the reality of truth the reality of who we are, of who God is, of what this creation is. And so Jesus brings illumination out of ignorance to us. And so that's one of the beautiful things that Jesus brings. Now, to follow Jesus, there's also another experience we get to have. We don't just get to open our eyes to reality. We aren't just open to the truth of this world. Uh, but another beautiful thing happens that when we follow Jesus as the light, we find relationship and belonging. And so the prophet Isaiah says this. He says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Now, what's the prophecy that Isaiah brings up? Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name, what? Emmanuel. The gospel writers of Matthew bring this up as well. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. 
And, and so part of the story of Christmas and part of the story of Jesus becoming light in the darkness is, is not just that we have a sense of reality, not just that we have a sense of truth, but we have a God who is with us in that reality and with us in that truth. Now, here's why this is important. Because so often when we are exposed to reality and truth in this life, is it not incredibly terrifying at times? Anyone ever feel like that? Right? When we look at the darkness of this world, when we look at the sin in our lives and the sin of others' lives, when we look at the brokenness and fracture and evil and injustice of this world, when our eyes are exposed to truth and reality, it is incredibly overbearing. It is incredibly scary. It is incredibly imitating at times. And so as our eyes are open to the truth of this world, the beautiful thing and the beautiful gift that God gives us is the presence of Himself. Now, I'm sure many of us can have stories of when we were kids of being scared of the dark. Anyone want to confess that or own up to that right now? Right? Now, we, we as children, maybe you as an adult, I don't know, maybe you're scared of the dark. Um, but when you're scared of the dark and you're alone, is it not that much more intense? But when you were a child and you were scared of the dark and your parent or a friend was walking with you, did that not make everything much better? <laughs> and, and here's some of the comfort that God gives us is that even though we walk through the darkness of this world and even as we see the evil around us and the hardship and the suffering and the pain, even as we are exposed to the reality of all these things, there's this beautiful comfort and peace that we have in following Jesus knowing that the God who is in control of all things, the God who is sovereign, the God who is powerful over all things, walks with us in the darkness. God with us. And, and I think this is incredibly important for us to understand because so many times we have misconceptions of God where God is distant, where God is disconnected from our lives. And when we walk through darkness, to have a parent who is distant or a parent who is disconnected doesn't help us at all. And yet the Scriptures remind us over and over again that our God is a God who is with us, that God is for us, that God is walking with us. And so this, this beautiful sense of comfort and peace comes from the Christmas story that God is with us in the midst of the darkness. And so this, this was beautiful. Even Brennan Chakota brought this up with the painting this morning, is, is that there's this sense of God's comfort even when we walk through the darkness of this world, even when we go through suffering and pain, there's a deep comfort that we can simply walk to our God, our Father, who is a comforter, who is a powerful creator, who loves us and sustains us and is for us, and automatically knowing that there is a God who is with us and for us comforts us in the midst of darkness, in the midst of hardship. It's beautiful. Beautiful. Now, the third thing I want to bring up is that to follow Jesus and to experience freedom and behavior. And so you look at these existential questions of what do we believe in? Who do we belong to? How are we supposed to behave? All these things are getting answered in knowing Jesus. And this third one, freedom and behavior and following Jesus, 
is, is probably the most difficult for us to deal with and comprehend. Because there's, there's fear of a darkness out there a lot of the times, right? There's a fear of the darkness of this world. There's a fear of, of darkness um, beyond us. But in reality, and again, what does Jesus do? Step us into truth and reality. Is there not a darkness in each and every one of us? Is there not? And the beautiful thing about following Jesus is that He doesn't even leave us in our own darkness. He doesn't leave us in our own evil. He doesn't leave us in our own justice. In fact, He makes us call it out. We call that what in the church? We call it confession, repentance, right? Confession and repentance are really just admitting reality, admitting what is true. And so Jesus reveals the darkness in our life not because he, he wants to shame us or to harm us because He wants what is good for us. He wants us to step into reality. And I often think about this in, in a sense of, of even as we've had candles for Advent, I've, I've thought of like candlelight dinners. Now, who's here romantic and does candlelight dinners with their spouse or partner or boyfriend or girlfriend? Anyone? Jo George? Do we have Renee to give evidence for that? Yeah. <laughs> nice. We got a couple romantics out there. <laughs> yeah, if the power's out. But here's, here's the wild thing with like candlelight dinners. I've been thinking, why, why is candlelight dinners a concept for like a romantic thing that partners do? And I was thinking, well, a lot of the reason for a candlelight dinner is you dim all the other lights and you have a, a small light source which basically hides all the imperfections of the person across from you, right? <laughs> yeah. Hey, I'm not calling everyone ugly here. I'm just saying. <laughs> but yeah, does Rebecca know that? But that's what it does. It, it hides some of the imperfections of our faces, right? And I'm not one to say everyone's perfect in their whatever, but we won't go down that right. But that's literally sort of like romantic candlelight dinner does. And the weird thing is, is, is we almost want to treat God in the same way. Where when Jesus comes as a light into our life, we want to treat Jesus as like a little candlelight who just reveals some of the imperfections of our life. Who reveals some of the flaws in our life. Who reveals some of the sins in our life. Where Jesus comes as a light to expose all of reality, to expose all of truth about who we are. And we have to realize that when we conceal things from God, when we hide things from God, when we hide our flaws and mistakes and sins, we are truly missing out on the freedom that God has for us and the freedom that actually transforms our behavior and transforms us. And this is why John as well, the writer of this gospel, he writes later on, he says, everyone who does evil hates the what? Any guesses? Hates the? The light. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that they will be exposed. 
And this is so often the patterns of our life where we do not step into reality, we do not confess sin, we do not deal with the, the deep, dark secrets of our life or the addictions or the hardships or the pains that we're not willing to address because we don't treat Jesus truly as the light who shines into the darkness in our life. And so once we step into the light of knowing and experience Jesus, the darkness of our life, the gospel tells us, should be shedding away, should be deteriorating. Where we're called not to hide from the light as people of God, but we enter into the light to deal with the truth of who we are and find the reality that God loves us and can restore us and can renew us and offers a freedom in the midst of it. And so this is the beautiful reality that we get to experience of following Jesus. So I don't know where, where each and every one of you are at in, in this experience of life and the spiritual journey of following Jesus. But, but I bring these three simple ideas up for us because they're truly life-transforming when we begin to process them and live them out. Because to walk through life in ignorance, ignorance is what? Bliss, right? But is ignorance reality? <laughs> no, right? And Jesus is the truth, right? And so even though ignorance may be bliss, you're still far away from reality. You're still far away from truth. And so to follow Jesus brings us into the truth. Now, another thing is, is to follow Jesus again is to have a relationship of belonging in the midst of darkness. And this life is so overbearing and we experience so much pain from even people we love. We experience so much injustice and evil and sorrow. And yet, we are reminded that ultimately we have a place of belonging and knowing our God. And the God who exists as Father, Son, Spirit, the perfect triune relationship invites us to experience a perfect relationship in union with Him. And that sense of belonging, that sense of peace, that sense of protection will walk us through the darkest of seasons. And then to follow Jesus is to finally deal with the reality of sin in our own lives and to have truth exposed of who we are and to discover and to find what we could fully be in knowing Jesus when he transforms us, when he live out the behavior and calling that he has placed before us. That's what it means to follow Jesus as the light. And so I'm going to close with a quote from, from Dallas Willard. I've shared this one with you guys before, but it's pretty timely, and it's, it's connected quite intimately with what we've talked about. Because to follow Jesus is, is what the New Testament at times calls discipleship. In other words, to orient our entire life and being around the person of Jesus Christ, to worship Him as the Magi did, to give Him worth and everything of devotion in our life. And Dallas Willard has a little reflection on what it means to not follow Jesus what it means to not live in discipleship. And he says this, 
He says, non-discipleship costs abiding peace. In other words, if you walk through the darkness and Jesus isn't there with you, is there peace in that? No. He says, non-discipleship costs us a life penetrated throughout by love. In other words, if you don't know the relationship of belonging, of your Creator, of your God, of what Jesus has done to restore relationship with you, you will miss out on a deep, penetrating love that is found in God. And it says, non-discipleship costs us a faith that sees everything in the light of God's overriding governance for good. In other words, when we walk through this world of darkness without trusting and knowing the truth of God's light, without knowing the truth of God's desire for good, we get overcome by the darkness of this world. And he says, non-discipleship costs us hopefulness that stands firm in the most discouraging of circumstances. It costs us a power to do what is right and to withstand the forces of evil. In short, it costs exactly the abundance of life Jesus said he came to bring. The cross-shaped yoke of Christ is, after all, an instrument of liberation, freedom, amen, and power to those who live in it with him and learn the meekness and lowliness of heart that brings rest to the soul. The correct perspective is to see following Christ not only as the necessity it is, but as the fulfillment of the highest human possibilities and as life on the highest plane. Amen? Let me read that last line for you again. Just take this in. The correct perspective is to see following Christ not only as the necessity it is, in other words, everything apart from Christ falls apart, but as the fulfillment of the highest human possibilities and as life on the highest plane. In other words, following Jesus finally reveals to us what it means to be fully human, to be the people that we were created to be. And so I'm going to close in prayer as we prepare for communion. And I, I pray that as we, we wrestle with this together, as we wrestle the light coming into the darkness, that we'd be reminded of the beauty that following Jesus brings. So let's pray together. Gracious Father, we come before you as the God who is the light of all creation. And Lord, we see that imagery of light bring forth so many ways and avenues to understand you. Lord, we look at it primarily through ignorance. Lord, that we know that we as humans are are first of all ignorant of who we should be, what we should do. And we try to create our own structures of morality. We try to create our own structures and standards of well-being and goodness. And yet, we so often neglect the very Creator giving us wisdom and guidance. And so we thank you that we can know Jesus as truth to shed light 
and insight and step out of ignorance into this world through belief. And Lord, we also look at the light who is with us. And as we walk through the darkness of this world, as we walk through so many things that bring fear and paralyzation and uncertainty, that you are a God who walks with us through the chaos and the pain and the hardship. And you are a God who enters into our suffering as we celebrate the Christmas story. A God who enters into this world of brokenness, not leaving us abandoned in the darkness, but instead bringing your light to shine on us to establish a relationship of peace and comfort. And Lord, we look at you as well as the God who sheds light on the darkness of us as individuals as well. A light that we do not often want to be shed upon, that we so often are content to walk in the darkness. And so, Lord, we first of all come and we confess to you. We confess our need for light to be shed into the darkness of our own lives so that we can experience the freedom of walking correctly, of walking in full obedience, of walking as fully humans as you created us to be. And so I pray that as we, we contemplate these things, as we pray about these things, Lord, that we would truly understand what it means to follow you and follow you, Jesus, as I am, God himself, the light of the world. Come to shine upon the darkness that we experience every day. We thank you for that gift. We recognize that gift is only found in you, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.